If you are in need of a Bible this morning, please raise your hand and one will be brought to you. And if you do not currently own a Bible, this is Sojourn's gift to you. Today's scripture reading is found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. Please stand as we read. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm Thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, just rejoicing with you, singing songs of praise to our God and King. As Edward said, if this is your first time gathering with us, we're grateful you're here. It's good to see familiar faces as well, uh, even friends that maybe you haven't seen in a while. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. would love to get a chance to meet you uh, after the service, if, uh, if you're able to come say hello, we'd love to be able to do that. Uh, as we dive into God's word this morning, let's go to him in prayer first and ask him to bless this time. <clears throat> Father, we give you thanks this morning. We give you thanks for who you are, for your character, for your consistency. And God, we give you thanks for your steadfast love and mercy, your unending grace, your patience and long-suffering with us. God, we give you thanks for the gift of life, for the gift of those of us that have been able to gather this morning to get up out of bed and come and be here today. And Lord, we pray for those that are unable to be here because they're not feeling well or are struggling with a difficulty of some sort this morning. We pray that you'd encourage them. And God, as we gather together this morning, I pray that we would be thankful for the fact that we get to do this, that it's a gift from you to be together as your people this morning. And so in the midst of that, God, we pray that as we open up your word, that you would speak to us. God, would you help us to hear, help us to listen this morning. Teach us your ways so that we might walk in them. And God, we pray that your name and your fame and your glory would be on display this morning. We pray, God, that you would be exalted above all things. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do a transformative work in our lives today, even as we sit here. And God, we give you thanks that you give us your word to know you and to know ourselves better in light of who you are. And so God, help us to discover more about ourselves this morning and that you would use that to transform and change us. And so we give you this time and we thank you that you've given it to us. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Do you sometimes feel like you, uh, you have a hard time focusing? I mean, you know, on a task or, or just the day-to-day -day of life, just a difficulty focusing on what maybe is right in front of you. Well, if that's true for you, you're not alone. 
Over the last 15 years, the average attention span for human beings has dropped significantly. In the early 2000s, it was studied that, that humans had the average attention span of about 12 seconds, which, <laughs> to be honest, that already doesn't sound very good. The 12 seconds, we could focus all of our attention on something for 12 seconds. Over the last 15 years, though, that's dropped to 8.25 seconds. Now, you may say, okay, well, that's, that doesn't sound great. Well, a goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. A goldfish has a better attention span than most of us do. Now, there could be a lot of different reasons for that. Uh, there's significantly more distraction in our lives today than there has been in previous generations if we compare those things. I mean, if we just take people who work in an office setting, that you sit in front of a computer throughout a lot of your day. Studies have been done that say that the average worker who sits in front of a computer all day checks their inbox 30 times in an hour. And for those of us that have smartphones, that we pick up, on average, in a week, our phone 1,500 times for a total of three hours and 15 minutes every day. We're looking at that little device in our hands. With constant notifications, just coming and calling for our attention, whether that's a, a reminder or a text message or a new email notification or a calendar alarm telling you that you're late for something or that you need to be leaving to go do something. Our minds are constantly being beckoned to something else over and over and over again. And so as we come to our text today in Philippians, one of the things we see the Apostle Paul doing as he writes to this church in Philippi, and as he writes even to us today, he's calling us to focus. He's calling us to pay attention. Paul has been writing this letter, and we've been walking through it over the last few months, and he's, he's calling the Philippians, he's calling us to live lives that are worthy of the gospel, in other words, he's calling us to lives of faithfulness, that we would continue to faithfully follow Jesus, and to do so as we find ourselves living in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And the Philippian church is struggling. They're, they're suffering in a world that is set against following Christ. They are tempted towards distraction, that other things would grab their attention, other things would pull them away from following Jesus. Just yesterday, a group of uh, people from Sojourn went down to a little mini-conference in Washington, D.C. that was put on by uh, our church, one of the church planting networks that we're a part of. And the, the whole conference was about shame, uh, and it was, it was really refreshing and encouraging. But the speaker said this. He said, in the midst of talking about shame and talking about sin, he said, all sin begins with distraction. All sin begins with distraction. Now, what that means is, is that distraction isn't necessarily sin, but it's a pregame to sin. It's, it's getting ourselves ready as we are distracted towards what God is calling us to. Because when we're distracted, we aren't paying attention. When we're distracted, we forget what is most true about us. We forget about what it means to live in the world we find ourselves in. And so the Philippians are tempted to distraction, and because of that, they're tempted to set Jesus and the life he has called his people to live to the side in order to pursue the things that the world offers to them. 
The reality is you and I face those same temptations today. I mean, if you ask yourself, do you find yourself living in a world that's constantly distracting? I would guess that most of us would answer that question, yes, but more to the point, are you distracted? Are you distracted from the life that God has called you to live? Are you distracted from faithfulness? Because we do live in a world that is constantly vying for your attention, but not just with reminders and email notifications and text messages. It's vying for your attention and it's calling you over and over again, encouraging you over and over again to find your comfort, to find your hope, to find your joy in this world and in this life. But friends, the world is selling you a false bill of goods. And so Paul's seeking to tell you the truth, to remind you of who you are and where your home is. Because here's why. We, we tend to find our hope in where our home is. Where we feel like we belong, where we feel like we are most secure, where we're most at peace. And so because of that, the world is telling you, then find it here. Find your hope here. This is your home. This is all there is. But when we come to our text, we see the, the Apostle Paul seeking to challenge us and encourage us to focus and remember, yes, our, home, our hope is where our home is, but that isn't in this place. So brothers and sisters, what I want us to see in our text this morning is indeed that this place is not our home. We are sojourners, but we do have a lasting home. And if we rightly understand that, we can orient our lives around that lasting identity. Now, if you are not a follower of Jesus, and I'm grateful that you're here this morning, but we want this to be a community and a place that you can come and you can hang out and you can get to know God's people and you can get to know God. But maybe you resonate with this kind of conflict, this conundrum that can crop up in your life, that, that you long for a sense of permanence, that you long for a sense of peace, and stability in your life, but find things around you constantly changing. Maybe you've been looking for some kind of rootedness in your life and the things that the world offers you, but if you really think about them, they often come up lacking, ultimately unsatisfying. And my hope, if that's you this morning, is that you'll see that what you've been looking for is found in Jesus and is available to you even now. And for all of us, I pray God would use this time in his word to refocus our lives, reorient our hearts and minds, and radically change the way we live and think about the world. And so let's close out Philippians 3 this morning, and may God bless the preaching of his word. Paul has been telling us a bit about his own story and his own journey with Jesus as we've been in Philippians 3. And he's told us how he counts everything as loss when he compares it to the, the things that he once uh, compared his value in the world. When he compares it to Christ, he sees everything from the world as, as a loss because he gets Jesus. He gets to gain Jesus and know Jesus and be found in Jesus. And so Paul says, when I get Jesus, everything else looks like trash to me compared to him. And he's encouraged us, because of that truth, to forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead, to get more and more of Christ, to, to become more and more like him, to persevere in faith and finish the race. And so if everything Paul has said is true, 
then it fundamentally changes the way we live our lives here and now. This can't be something that we just look at and read and think, okay, that sounds good. Maybe I'll tweak a few things about my life. No, Paul is significantly challenging the way we view the world, significantly challenging the way we live our lives, saying, do we really value Jesus above all things? And if we do, then it's going to change the way we live. And so he finishes his exhortation in a strong way, and he does so by calling us to imitation and identity. To imitation and identity. We see this first in the beginning of verse 17. He says, brothers or brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. Now, around my house right now, there's often a frustrating game that's played where one child is trying to annoy their sibling by copycatting them. I'm sure some of you know what this is like because you've done this to your own siblings. Repeating words and actions of the other person. Until it reaches that fever pitch point of a repetitive course of stop copying me, stop copying me, stop copying me, stop copying me. When we think about imitation, when we think about copying, for most of the time, from most of our experience, that's either annoying or fake. Right? We're either annoyed when somebody's copying us or imitating us, or we think imitation, well, that sounds like knockoff. Like, I don't want the imitation, I want the real thing. But here the Apostle Paul is telling us to imitate Imitate him in particular. So what's going on here? Is, is Paul being arrogant? Well, the call here isn't to focus on Paul like he is the end-all, be-all. Remember, we looked at the last couple of weeks. Paul has communicated to us, I, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not perfect yet. I want to be more like Jesus, but I have a long ways to go. Now, what Paul is doing here is he's calling us to imitate him as an encouragement to follow him as he follows Christ. That he's running the race to Jesus and he wants us to join him in that. He's striving. He's seeking to pursue Christ above all things. He's seeking to make Jesus his treasure in the midst of a world that offers him all kinds of substitutes. So this isn't a prideful thing for Paul to say. It's, It's actually a pretty humble thing for Paul to say. It's a vulnerable thing for him to say. It's an invitation for people around him to look at his life, both the good and the bad, and to learn from it. But it isn't just Paul. Look at the rest of verse 17. He says, Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul's saying this isn't just me. It isn't just a few of us, but a whole community of people who are pursuing Jesus. Now, in verse 17, you see a word there. It's really important for us to understand. He says, those who walk according to the example you have in us. That word, walk, in another way, it's just saying daily living. When you go about the the regular daily living of your life, following Jesus for the long haul in the day-to-day, in the normal moments of life, not just during a Sunday gathering, And we come together and we get excited about following Jesus. Not just when you go to a conference and you get amped up about following Jesus. I mean on Monday morning when you're not sure you really want to get out of bed. Or Monday afternoon when you're sitting in a doctor's office wondering what they're going to tell you. Or Tuesday when you're in a budget meeting at work. Or Wednesday when you're thinking about 
that bio lecture that you have to go sit through and man, I just really don't want to do this. Or Thursday when the laundry around your house is piling up and it just seems overwhelming to you. Or Friday when you're sitting at home and just feeling particularly lonely. See, Paul's reminding us, encouraging us, that if you are in Christ, that you come from a long line of faithful followers. A long line of faithful followers who have endured suffering and difficulty in life. Who found that it is challenging to follow Jesus in a world that's set against him. A long line of faithful followers who have struggled with sin just like you do, but have continued to seek to follow Jesus in the everyday, day after day. Now Paul's telling this to the Philippians. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. How much more is that true for us some 2,000 years later? That we have so many men and women that we can look to as examples in which to imitate. Brothers and sisters, there's so much growth that can come through the imitation of other faithful brothers and sisters. And as I was reflecting on this truth this week, I just thought about this in my own life. I think about the fact that my parents faithfully brought me to gather with the church week in and week out growing up, hearing about Christ. I think about Johnny Elder who taught my Sunday school class for several years when I was growing up, pointing some crazy boys to Jesus. I think about going to camp with my cousins in high school and, and hearing about the greatness of Christ and, and the, what it looks like to live with reckless abandon and following Jesus and coming back from that in the middle of high school and starting to pray every day. I think about going off to college and meeting my friend Mark and him challenging me to spend time in God's Word I remember him saying, hey, why don't you just every other day try and do that for 30 minutes? And I thought he was crazy. Like, that's a long time. But he was faithful to continue to remind me and model that in his, in his own life. And he, and he challenged me and encouraged me to live a life above reproach. And I got to meet some other 18-year-olds who were trying to figure out what it looked like to follow Jesus in college as well. I'm still friends with those guys today, and I am thankful that all of them are still following Christ. And we get to encourage one another on that. I think of some of the biographies I've read over the years. Stories of John Patton, the missionary to essentially a cannibalistic people, who though fearing his own life, and many who had left that area because they feared their lives, stayed faithful, lost his first wife and child, but continued to faithfully proclaim Christ and saw hundreds and thousands of those men and women come to know Jesus. I think of Charles Simeon, a pastor and preacher who went to a church to preach Jesus, but the church didn't want him there. But he continued to faithfully come and stand in front of an empty room week after week, opening up the scriptures, preaching Christ to people, and eventually people were brought and attracted to Christ. He remained at that church for 55 years preaching. I think about George Mueller, a man of prayer, a fervent prayer who asked God to do unimaginable things to provide for the needs of orphans that he was caring for and saw God show up time and again in providing for their needs. Faithfulness upon faithfulness. And as a side note, if you've never read a biography of, of faithful men and women that have walked before you, I'd encourage you to find a few to pick up. 
My wife has read uh, Corey Ten Boom's biography and is, is impacted by that. Uh, and these other ones that I've shared, you can go on websites like desiringgod.org and find biographies of different men and women. For me, I think about being a part of local churches, seeing both pastors and my peers and leaders, men and women, exalting Christ, sharing struggles, spurring one another on to love and good deeds. I think of my fellow brother elders and our staff team, Emily and Kylia, that we get to do life and ministry. We get to do life and ministry with one another. I think about my wife that she consistently wants to know God and she wants to know his word and she's such an example to me of faithfulness, of continuing in the midst of the craziness of life, of seeking her Savior. I think of many of you, men and women in this church who are running the race laid out before you and encouraging me to keep running, to believe, to keep believing that Jesus is better than anything that this world can offer to me. See, there's something really important we need to learn from this. A faithful community, a faithful church is hugely significant for your spiritual journey. And I've seen many friends over the years, and and Paul talks about this in the next verse, but I've seen many friends over the years walk away from Jesus. But what happened first was they walked away from the church. They walked away from community. See, oftentimes I think we think it's the inverse, right? Walk away from Jesus and then I walk away from community, but I often think it happens the other way around. That when you find yourself isolated and disconnected from God's people, that soon you find yourself isolated and disconnected from God. And so this is a reminder that God never intended for you to pursue Christ as a solo endeavor. You can't. He didn't design a life with Jesus to be lived in the context of just your own life, just by yourself. He designed you to live in the context, to live a life with Jesus in the context of a Jesus-focused community. By nature of your being saved by Jesus and through Jesus, you are not alone. You're a part of a global family of God. There are brothers and sisters all around you who you can look at and to to be encouraged in your journey with Jesus. We so believe this as a church that one of our confident hopes as a church, one of the things that we hope to see God continue to develop as a part of the culture of our community is that every person would be connected in transformational community. That, that there would be an opportunity where every person that's called sojourn in their church would meaningfully connect with two to three people where you can be fully known and fully loved. Fully known that someone, a few people can know every single thing about your life and say, man, I love you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to distance myself from you. I'm not going to withdraw from you. I'm going to enter into this with you and continue to encourage you to pursue Christ above all things. And we don't get this perfect all the time. And something like this will take time. But it is important. Not even just important, it is vital for your life with Jesus. It's vital for you to pursue. And so if you don't know Christ, maybe you're just checking out who Jesus is, let me encourage you to connect with Jesus' people. That you would hang out with us here at Sojourn, that you learn what it means to know Jesus and follow Jesus from people that Jesus has saved 
and is in the process of transforming and changing. For those of you that already know Christ, but maybe this morning what you recognize is that you're sitting in a room full of people, but you feel really disconnected. And that you maybe have been here for a little while, or you've kind of been popping in and out, or you're looking for that community, but right now you feel disconnected, you feel on the periphery. Let me just encourage you to let someone know. Let someone know and make an effort to make yourself known as someone who wants to run the race with others. And let me encourage you not to give up in doing that. As I was reminded yesterday, sometimes that takes time and it takes asking multiple people. But don't give up after asking one person or two people. There are people in this room that want to run with you. Find those people. No matter what life stage you're in as well, no matter what's going on in your life, we can all learn from and be examples to one another. But why is Paul so adamant about calling the Philippians to do this? Why is he so adamant about this? Why is he saying, no, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on. Like this is a laser focus on people as examples. Why is he calling us to this? Well, he says all this for a very particular reason. Because there's a competing example that we could all follow. Look at verses 17 through 19. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. This is the why of verse 17. This is the why of finding people and linking arms with people to be examples to you and encourage you. See, he says not just a few people, but many are walking. It's that same word. Just the day-to-day of their life. They're walking and living the day-to-day of their life as enemies of the cross of Christ. And he tells them this again, he says, with tears. Why tears? Why is Paul heartbroken over this? It's the same reason that it makes me sad to see friends that I knew in high school and knew in college that have walked away from Jesus. He's not just talking about any people, some random group of people out there. He's talking about people who once claimed to know Jesus. Who once We're pursuing or seemingly pursuing Jesus, but have now wandered away from Jesus to pursue the things of the world. In what ways have they done this? Well, he gives us a few descriptions. He says their God is their belly. They pursue personal pleasure and comfort and satisfaction. They're they're driven by these, these fleshly desires, these fleshly cravings. I mean, it's interesting that he says their God is their belly, like their stomach. Like sometimes you just want to eat certain things. You just crave after these certain things. And so he's using that as a, as a metaphor, as an example to say, man, at our most, most basic level, they just want to receive those things that they long for, that their body longs for, that their flesh longs for. But he says it's their God is their belly. So this is about worship, who their allegiance is to. And the object of their worship isn't Jesus, but self. He says they glory in their shame. Glory is about what we delight in. And so instead of delighting in God, and instead of hiding seemingly shameful things, they've delighted or are delighting in shameful behavior, even bragging about it. 
They celebrate and find value in things that God says are unholy. Maybe things like greed or sexual immorality or deception or loving self more than others. But here's the key. They do all of this because their minds are set on earthly things. They've become distracted. And all they think about is life here on earth. And in the midst of that, they've come to believe that's all there is to life. If hope is where your home is, then the person that believes that all there is in this life is the earthly life, then it makes sense to embrace a mindset and a lifestyle of eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow will die. As I mentioned last week, we live in a death-defying culture. There are more products out in our culture than ever before that seek to prolong everything about your life. Your looks, your mind, your health. All these things are efforts to make things last, to produce a sense of permanence. And that makes sense if this life is all there is. It makes sense if that's true. But it is foolishness if we are made for something more. And that's Paul's point. He has called us to imitate faithfulness so that we don't imitate foolishness. Imitate faithfulness so that we don't imitate foolishness. Because Paul is convinced and the pages of Scripture are full of the truth that we are made for something more. That this place is not our home. That this world is not as it should be or as it will be. And because that is true, he makes this strong statement about the result of living this way. He's saying someone who lives with a focus on the here and now will not just experience difficulty in this life. All of us experience difficulty in this life. We live in a broken world. We still struggle with sin, and so does everybody else around us. And so we find life can be difficult at times, but he's saying someone who lives with a focus only on the here and now will not just experience difficulty, but destruction. That's a strong word. Why does he say that? Because their lifestyle, their conduct shows that they are enemies of the cross. They've rejected Jesus. They've rejected his loving, good authority over their lives. Now, this is a, a sobering reality. It's a sobering reality, but it can also serve as a warning for us because we're still sitting here. We haven't reached the end yet. But if we live life this way, it's like we're on a train and we're enjoying the food and fun as we cruise along on the train all the while ignoring the signs all along the track that say bridge out ahead. And I think this is the aim of Paul's exhortation. Some have overtly wandered away, but be warned, be warned that you don't suddenly slip away too when the world offers you enticing delicacies and distractions to feed your desires. I mean, I know I can get distracted when there's promises of comfort, promises of ease. I can be distracted to pursue those things. I was thinking about this this week, talking with another brother in our church about how it's easy for me, and I think I, I would guess maybe easy for a lot of us to think if just this circumstance was a little bit different, if my situation was a little bit different, if I just got this thing, if this one 
element of my life, where I live or where I work was right, if I had enough money in my bank account, whatever those things happen to be, then I'll be good. Then I'll be content. It's all distraction. What about you? How are you tempted to imitate foolishness instead of imitating faithfulness? What distractions are pulling you away, maybe even now? See, Paul calls us to imitate faithfulness and calls us away from foolishness because he knows the draw of a distracted heart and mind. But he doesn't stop there. He caps off his exhortation with a reminder of your identity and what it looks like to faithfully wait. Look at verses 20 and 21. He's been calling us to these things, but then he says this, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. That word but is a strong contrasting word And what he says in that is both a declaration and a reminder. He's saying, listen, if you are in Christ, this is who you are. This is your identity. You are a citizen of heaven. This place is not your home. You are a sojourner. Not just because you gather with this group of people. You're a sojourner because what it means to be a sojourner is that you're, you're on a journey. This place that you find yourself in isn't your home. It's not your place of birth. You're just passing through. If you have a spiritual passport, it doesn't say in there, citizen of the United States of America. It doesn't say citizen of China. It doesn't say citizen of Guatemala. It says citizen of heaven. That's where your home is. If you are in Christ, this is who you are now. So Paul's saying, remember who you are. Remember where your home and your hope are while you remain in a world that is seeking to distract you, seeking to pull you away, seeking to take that passport and throw it in the trash. But I think that leads to two important questions for us this morning, and that's this. How do we become citizens of heaven? What does it mean to be a citizen of heaven, and how does that affect our life? To become a citizen of the United States, a person has to have had a green card for at least five years, meet eligibility requirements, which include being at least 18 years old, being able to read, write, and speak basic English. (laughs) I love this one. Being a person of good moral character. That is ironic if that's a requirement to be a citizen of our country. Then they have to go through a 10-step naturalization process, which includes taking a civic test that I don't think a lot of us could even pass and have a personal interview. But to become a citizen of heaven, there is no waiting period. There is no class requirement, no age requirement, no character requirements. In fact, to become a citizen of heaven, you have to first admit that you aren't a person of good character. That you've been an enemy of the God who is the king of the kingdom that you're trying to be a part of. That you've pursued your own will and ways. To become a citizen of heaven, you have to place your faith and trust 100% not in yourself. 
but 100% in Jesus, who he is and what he's done. Jesus, the true citizen of heaven, who came to earth taking on your humanity in order to set you free from your captivity, to set you free from your slavery to sin. And in taking on your humanity, he went to a cross to pay the penalty for all of your sin and all the shame that comes with it, all of it to pay the penalty for your rebellion. And then he rose again from the grave to rule and reign over the kingdom of God, which he now invites you to be a part of. This is the good news of the gospel. See, to become a citizen of heaven does come by birth, but not your first birth. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you look like. It comes by a new birth, a rebirth that is possible because of faith in Jesus. Because see, sin leaves us spiritually dead unable and unwilling to come to God, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are given faith in life to know and trust and follow Jesus. It's all a gift of grace. Listen, there is no back door to citizenship in heaven. There is only one door, and his name is Jesus. He is the way and the truth and the life. No one can be reconciled to God except through him. But the citizenship in heaven is available to anyone who places their faith and trust in Jesus, repenting, turning away from your old way of living and turning to him for forgiveness and redemption. There's no bias. There's no prejudice in this citizenship process. All you need is need. All you need is Jesus. And so have you become a true citizen of heaven? Or are you still clinging to the things of this earth? And if this is already true of you, maybe you've been a citizen of heaven for a while or you desire to become a citizen of heaven today, it isn't just something for the future. It isn't something to say, well, one day. No, Paul's point in saying all this is that it impacts your life now. To be a citizen means that you're a part of a community. You're a part of a commonwealth. It also means that you're ruled by a particular sovereign. When Paul calls Jesus Savior in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior. He's actually being subversive in his speaking. The city of Philippi is a Roman colony ruled by the Roman Empire, and it was often that Caesar was called Savior. And so Paul is saying, no, 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 no. There's only one Savior. It's King Jesus. There's only one sovereign, and he's the Lord of all creation. But notice in the midst of that, Paul doesn't say then, okay, so because of that, let's overthrow the government. Let's create a theocracy. He doesn't say, man, we should go back to the good old days when everybody knew Jesus as if that ever existed. No, he calls us to faithful waiting. Faithful waiting that flows out of your identity. He says, because your citizenship is in heaven, you can await your Savior, who is gone to prepare a place for you and who will come again to make all things new. But then notice what Paul says. What are we waiting on Jesus to do? That when he comes again, he will transform your lowly body 
and make your lowly body to be like His glorious body. He will make you like Himself. Being transformed to be like Jesus in a physical way, to be transformed to be like Jesus is one of my absolute favorite realities of the good news of the gospel. I love thinking about that when I get to see my Savior face to face, that that's what I long for the most in heaven. is isn't just that it's going to be fun and cool and we get to hang out together. No, it's that I get to see my Savior face to face and that when I see Him, that God in the midst of that is going to transform me. That all my sin will be removed. There will be no more suffering. My limitations will be removed. Never to hold me back from faithfully following, from faithfully worshiping my God and King. And what a glorious day that will be for us if we are in Christ. No more weaknesses. No more mental struggles. No more physical ailments. No more loneliness. No more sadness. No more sin when our Savior comes again. And we believe this glorious truth that we are citizens of heaven, that this place is not our home, and because of that, it makes us noble sojourners. But now we wait. And we wait in a world and a culture that doesn't see life the same way. And so again, there's a constant temptation to distraction, to forgetting, to being sucked into the mindset of our captivity. And so Paul's final word here is helpful. Therefore, stand firm in the Lord. Therefore, stand firm in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, if you know who you are, if you remember who you are, where your home and hope is, if you know that when Jesus comes again, it will be glory and grace and the fullness of peace, don't be taken captive by the wooing of the world. And Paul's reminding us that we cannot put our trust in princes or presidents to make us well and give us the good life. The good life is found in and through Jesus alone. And so if you are a citizen of heaven but live here on earth and you are by nature a foreigner, an exile, a sojourner. It's one of the reasons that when Amy and I were thinking and praying about planting a church in northern Virginia that as we thought about well, what, what would we call this, this gathering, this covenant community of believers that we decided to name this church Sojourn Church because it's a constant reminder that this is not our home. And this is not our, where our hope is. And it impacts the way we live in the world now that we're just passing through, but we're seeking to do good for the name of Christ and the exaltation of the kingdom of God, standing firm in the Lord together. And so that means that we live now as a group of sojourners with the ethics of the kingdom of God, not with what's politically popular. Which means there'll be times when we should confound and confuse people about what we stand up for and how we live our lives. It means that you and I don't fit nicely into a box. It means we don't bow down to golden statues, literally or figuratively, just to get something for ourselves. It means that even though our present experience might include, will include suffering, we're not dominated by despair. We're dominated by hope. And that's been a truth that's helped me endure, helped me to persevere in the midst of hearing about and walking with some of you in the midst of your suffering and even just my own struggles. We can be dominated by hope because we know where our home is. It means 
that we treasure Christ above all. But let's not overlook something really important. All of this comes full circle. Let's not forget that a way to help you stand firm, a way for you to remember your identity, to continue to follow Christ is, verse 17, to imitate and look to the example of others who have and are sojourning well. See, citizenship in heaven is communal by nature. If you're a citizen of heaven, there's a whole lot of other people that are also citizens of heaven that have the same passport that you do now. You didn't just get saved and put on a little island by yourself for your own little kingdom. You're part of Jesus' kingdom. So that means that we need to live that out now. If you don't sojourn with other sojourners, you're not going to last. So here we are, a living, real gathering of messy people. And when we strive to live like this, like citizens of heaven, like this place is not our home or where our hope is, we strive to live like faithful sojourners. We help one another finish the journey. And at the same time, we can become an attractive community to our neighbors and the nations. Not because of us, but because of Christ in us. See, Paul's reminding and exhorting the Philippians, he's reminding and exhorting us that there are two ways to live. A self-centered life or a Christ-centered life. And they each have two distinct results. Destruction or glorification. And the world is relentless. Relentless in attempting to pull you down the path of destruction. Putting you on that train, feeding your belly, letting you have fun, ignoring the signs along the way that say bridge out ahead. And so in light of constant distraction, stand firm, friends. Stay focused on Christ, knowing where your true home and hope is. Because we are sojourners now, a community of foreigners living in a place that is not our home, who are bound together by, through, and in Christ, longing for him to come again. But until that day, may we love one another enough to be the best examples and great encouragers in order to help one another stay faithful and focused and to run the race laid out before us until we see our Savior face to face. I think Jesus knew that it would be hard at times to stay focused in a distracting world. I think Jesus knew that we'd be tempted to imitate foolishness instead of faithfulness that we'd be tempted to forget where our true home and hope is. And so Jesus gave us a regular reminder to practice together in community. A simple meal of the bread and cup that calls our minds as we think about it. It calls our hearts as we have emotion about it. It calls our bodies, our physical bodies, to reflect and be refreshed by the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the very real presence of the resurrected and risen Christ, our Savior, But see, we don't enjoy this meal in our homes or as individuals. We eat and drink when we come together as citizens of heaven, as sojourners. And we do so every single time we gather until Jesus comes again. And so as you rise this morning, as you come forward this morning, rejoice in the grace that God has rescued you and brought you to be a part of his family. And then look around And give thanks for a room full of people that you get to journey with together. 
And if you're not a follower of Jesus, we would just ask you not to come forward this morning to take communion. Because in our taking communion, what we're saying, what we're declaring is what Paul's been saying, that our citizenship is in heaven. And if you're not there yet, if you haven't yet trusted in Christ, we would just ask you to hang in your seat. My hope is that you hear this morning that that invitation is open to you, that you can become a citizen of heaven, that all you need is need and all you need is Jesus. So tell Jesus that this morning. And if you have questions about what it means to know him or to follow him, what it means to be a part of this church and this community, let somebody around you know. We'd love to help you with that, to sojourn with you. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables at the front or the tables in the back. And what Christ has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Father of mercy, we thank you for Jesus, our rescuer, We thank you for Jesus, our Redeemer. We thank you that all of your promises find their yes and amen in him. So God, this morning, I pray that you'd help us to remember our identity. That you'd help us to live as sojourners here and now. May our hope be not in this world or in what's happening right here and right now, but in the future grace that one day we will see our Savior face to face and we will see him, we'll be made like him. And that we get to do that together. God, I pray that you would help us to imitate one another so that we can stay focused. Help us to live lives worth imitating. Help us to continue to pursue Christ together. God, would you call us to yourself? Would you help us to know you and follow you until Jesus returns or calls us home? We thank you for your grace. In Christ, our Savior's name we pray. Amen. Come forward whenever you're ready.